take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. We're going to, I'm going to focus on this psalm this morning, but we're going to pretty much stay in the psalms uh, quite a bit. I, a, a few verses that I want you to look at and, and that we'll talk about this morning. But Psalm 137 uh, is um, attributed to Jeremiah. Um, by the way, you know, everybody's, oh, the psalmist David. David wrote all the psalms. David only wrote about 75 out of the 150 psalms. Uh, you know, he, so he wrote a majority of them, but, but David's not the only one that wrote psalms. And especially if you look, if you look at this uh, Psalm 137, and as we go through this passage, it's pretty obvious that David was not the author. He was not there when the things that, that are talked about in this passage happened. Um, but um, Jeremiah is the one that's, that's he was a prophet during the, this time that Psalm 137 was written. He was the one that did a lot of um, prophesying during that time. And so... Uh, there is, uh, there's, there's a lot of evidence, I guess you could say, or a lot of, a, a lot of uh, things that kind of lend itself to that direction that Jeremiah wrote this, but the author's not known. Nobody knows who the author is of this psalm. Um, but, by the way, I think I must have slept on my back wrong last night because I have this pain in the, in the middle of my back as if I'm, uh, you know, it feels like somebody stabbed me in the back. So if I drop to the floor for a minute, just let me, give me a second. I'll stand back up in a minute and we'll be good. But uh, you know how that is. You wake up in the morning, you're just like, oh, I can't move. I don't know what it is. But uh, unless my wife did stab me in the back in the middle of the night, I'm not sure. But I uh, haven't checked back there for a wound yet. But uh, anyway, Psalm 137, the Bible says this in verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they, that, there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. And he goes on, he talks about some of the other things with Edom and Babylon and so on. But now, you know, they had obviously been uh, going through a, a time of, of uh, national sorrow when this was going on. And uh, they'd been warned, they didn't heed that warning. And so God had to carry them away into captivity or God told them that it was going to happen. They didn't turn back to God. And so they were carried away captive into Babylon. This is such a sad psalm, honestly. But he wrote this at a time when Babylon overtook Jerusalem. There was tens of thousands of captives. Uh, and while Israel was forced to live away from home as a punishment for their sin, uh, the captives got allowed to triumph for a season, just, just mocked this nation who had been displaced from the place that God wanted them to be, the place that God had given them. They wanted them to sing the songs of Zion. And I don't know if they were just mocking them or if they really wanted to hear it. I don't know if they really wanted to hear it or not. But they said, uh, verse number three, they that wasted us required of us mirth. Mirth is happiness, joy. Come on, put a smile on your face and sing those songs for us. Sing the songs of Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Uh, they hoped that God's chosen people here would, would basically conduct a praise and worship service for them. Uh, for their amusement. But this was something that obviously broke the writer's heart, whoever the writer happens to be. Uh, he couldn't fix his mouth to sing holy songs in an unholy, God-forsaken land. In verse 1, he paints a picture, really, of how devastated he and the others were beside the rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered 
Zion. They were all sitting around just crying, remembering what Jerusalem was like, mourning, lamenting their losses. And one of the things that they lost in this process was their praise. And we can see that by what happens in verse number two. And boy, this is such a sad, sad verse. In verse number two, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. I don't know if God put this in the Bible. I mean, I'm sure he did put it in here on purpose, but you know, a willow is a weeping willow. And they're just, you know, they did just look like a sad tree. But here, their harps that they used to use to sing praises to God, they, they hung them up. They put them away. They were done singing. They lost their praise song. Let me tell you something this morning. The devil wants to steal your song. The devil wants to take away your praise. And even though we all have seasons when there's plenty to smile and to be happy about, it's not always true. We, we're going to go through times when it's not always, uh, you know, happy and, and mirth and singing and all of those things, that can, things can change very quickly. You know, you'll find yourself struggling, you'll find yourself hurting, you'll find yourself trying to, uh, to keep your head above water. Life can come at you pretty fast. And when that happens, you know, the, the pit of destruction, the, the pit of depression will invite you to jump right in. And a lot of times we jump in, you know. Uh, discouragement will, will volunteer to be your companion and we'll walk together with discouragement for a time. If you're a musician, and I know a lot of you can have or can play an instrument, uh, but you know the feeling of trying to play, play a piece of music, you know, trying again, trying again, trying again, and finally just giving up and quitting because you, ju it just, you just can't get it right. Uh, even if you're not a musician, we all like to, to walk around singing a song, you know, even if we can't sing. Uh, but we like to hum tunes to ourselves, or we'll, you know, we'll be driving in the car or working, and a song will come to us and we'll sing. But what happens when the music isn't motivating you anymore? It would sound nice, it would sound pretty, but you just don't care. You're not going to sing those songs of Zion anymore. You hung up your harp. You're not happy and no joyful music is coming out, no beautiful song. When you're happy and you're right with God and looking forward to the future, you have a song in your heart. But I tell you what happens. Life hits. The devil brings things into our life. God allows them, but the devil will put things into our life that'll take away our song. And that's exactly what happened to those Israelites that were there in Babylon. You know, the devil is trying to steal our song constantly. And so this morning, my, my challenge to you this morning is this. Don't let the devil steal your song. Don't let the devil steal your song. What I want to share with you is some ways that we do allow the devil to steal our song and how we can have victory over that so that if, if maybe you've lost your song this morning or maybe, you're, maybe the music is fading, how do you get that song back? How do you pick up that harp and start playing again? We'll talk about that, but let's have a word of prayer before we start. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it's been already this morning uh, to hear what you're doing there in India, to, to hear what you want to do there, God, and, and what you want to do here in this place and, and here in our own country. God, I pray that you would send a revival. I pray that you would start it with us. pray that you'd have us, uh, uh, help us to have that desire that, that the moment you call us home, we'll leave this place without saying goodbye because we're so excited about what you have for us. But God, you have a, a life that you want us to live right now. And it's a life that you want us to live for you. It's a life that you want us to live happy. It's a life that you want us to live joyous. It's a life that you want us to live having that joy in you. And so I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that's lost that song, that you'd help them to realize where they lost it and go back and get it. 
There's some of us in here that are getting ready to go through trials. We don't know when we are, but we, but, but we know that a trial is right around the corner. It's that way a lot of times in life. And God, I pray that you help us to remember these things so that we don't lose our songs. God, I pray that you give us exactly what we need this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing is this that the devil uses to try to steal your song is unconfessed sins. Unconfessed sins. I think one of the biggest things that the devil used to get you to, to, to come away from God is to have unconfessed sin in your life. You know, uh, this is honestly what led Israel into the condition that they were in in the first place. They were in captivity in Babylon because they had left the God that they knew that they were supposed to stay close to. They sinned against him. They didn't confess those sins. They didn't get those things right with God. And the next thing you knew, they're carried away captive into Babylon. If, if they had been close to God, if they had been right with God, then they would have answered God's call to them to repent and to come back to him. And they wouldn't have had to be carried away into Babylon in the first place. But they didn't do those things, and so here they are with this unconfessed sin, and that's what allows them to get carried into that position. See, straying from God makes you more and more miserable. And I know that, that every one of us have been at that point in our lives. It's, it's, it's hard to stay 100% right with God all the time, and, and hopefully that's the direction that you're trying to move in your life, but it's, it's difficult. The devil's going to tempt us to do things that are just not right, that are, that are going to pull us away from God. And, and what happens in our lives so often is that uh, we sin and we think that it's not that big of a deal and we'll deal with it later and then it compounds and it compounds and pretty soon we have all of this unconfessed sin in our lives that's just pulling us away from God, farther and farther away from Him. We stop reading our Bible, we stop praying, we stop looking forward to going to church and the devil steals our joy. Evan Hopkins wrote a book called The Law of Liberty. In that book he said this, No child of God ever fell into grievous sin who had not previously received divine warnings of the approaching danger. The warning neglected was the first step in the fall. We have to watch for the Lord's leadings. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye, he says in Psalm 32 and verse 8. To be guided by God's eye, this author continues, is the most delicate of all kinds of leading. You may guide by your hand someone who is deaf. Or you may guide by your voice someone who is blind, but you cannot guide one with your eye unless he can see and is willing to keep his eye on your eye and understand your looks. But this supposes intimate knowledge, personal acquaintance. And that's exactly true. I mean, maybe you remember dealing with your kids in this way, right? I, 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 with, with our kids especially, and, and I know that it is this way with yours, a lot of times all it takes is a look, Right? They're doing something across the room, and you get their attention, and you do this. And they know, you better get out, you, you, you know, go into the other room. You're about to get, you know, talked to. Or, and and that's, what, that's what guiding with our eye is. That's what guiding God, that's how God guides those who are close to him. All it should take is just a look. And when God gives us that look, we know we better straighten up, right? But sometimes we, we don't heed that look. We don't allow God to guide us with his eye. So then he tries to guide us with his voice, and then he tries to guide us with correction. And when we, when we you know, uh, don't listen to any of those things, then God has to sometimes discipline us pretty hard to get us back. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, right? Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's, that's a big thing. If you're finding that you've lost hope, that that's it, you've given up, maybe it's because you haven't had something to live for. God supplies in a, a never-ending fountain of hope and joy and peace. And when we don't have that, it's because we're getting away from God. That's why, we're, that's why we lose out on our joy. 
Maybe without even realizing that you've taken too many steps away from God. Curtis Hudson said this. He's, a, he's, a, he's been, he passed away, I, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years ago now. But Curtis Hudson said, I would rather have a song and no tune than a tune and no song. You know what? There's a lot of Christianity going on around us. There's a lot of uh, music being played by other people's lives. And I don't necessarily mean physical music, but I'm saying there's a lot of other Christians who have that joy. There are others who are joyful in the Lord, but do you have that song? If not, it very well may be that you've let the devil steal it because you have unconfessed sin in your life. And, you know, we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of those things, but I'm telling you, Christians were not made to live in sin. Christians were not made to live defeated, joyless lives. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 28. Keep your finger there in Psalm 137. We're going to come back to it, but... The Bible says in Psalm 40 and verse 3, he hath put a new song in my mouth. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get that joy. We get that peace. We get that comfort. We get all of the things that come along with Jesus Christ when we accept him as our Savior. But one of the things that he does is he gives us a new song. He gives us something to sing. He wants us to be joyful. That's the way he created us to be as Christians is to be joyful. And so when you're not, when you've lost that joy, when you've lost that song, then something has to be the cause of it because that's not the way God designed it. I should be a joyful Christian with God's praise in my heart and with his song on my lips. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Boy, that's a sad verse and an exciting verse all in the same thing, right? That who, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That's a sad thing because there's so many Christians that are just covering up those sins. And God says, you, you can't prosper that way. But, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And that's an exciting, exciting thing. You want to get that joy back? Confess those things to God. He'll forgive you. He doesn't hang those things over your head. What does the Bible say? When, when God forgives you of your sins, he puts it as far away as the east is from the west, right? There's a north pole and the south pole, but how do you get to the east pole? Has anybody ever visited the west pole? No, because the east is from the west as far as you can possibly get. You can find the north and the south, right? And so if you said I was going to the north pole or I'm going to the south pole, and well, then I could probably get there and find my sins, but the east is from the west. There is no east pole. There is no west pole. God separated those things so far from him, he doesn't forget them. It says he buries them in the depths of the sea. He mentioned this morning, you know, that a lot of times God will forgive us and we can't forgive ourselves. If God's forgiven you, then you ought to forgive yourself, right? He's the ultimate judge, and I know we're hard on ourselves sometimes, but God's the ultimate judge, and if he's forgiven us and he's forgotten about them, then we ought to forgive ourselves and we ought to forget about them too. And go on forward for Jesus Christ. Donnie Johnson, he's the church planner that we support down there in North Carolina. He posted this. I'm not sure if it's original to him, if, if he made it up or if he saw it somewhere. But he said this, and it's, what, a, what a tremendous statement. He said, I can think of but one thing worse than losing your song in the Christian life, and that is learning how to sing while indulging in the pleasures of sin. There's a lot of Christians that have learned how to sing while indulging in the pleasures of sin. That means you know how to put on a good front. You know how to look good on the outside. You know how to make it look like you're singing the Christian song. But inside, that song is gone. I would rather, and I cannot think, I can think of but one thing worse than losing your song in the Christian life, and that is learning how to sing while indulging in the pleasures of sin. 
But if you want that joy in your heart, which is where God wants that joy to be, I don't know what sins you may have in your life this morning, but there's a good chance that you know what it is. And there's a 100% chance that God knows what it is. You're not hiding anything from God. You're not hiding anything from yourself. Just get it right. Just get it right. Get it right with God this morning. Get your song back from the devil. The devil will steal our song when we have unconfessed sins, but he'll also steal our song when we have unfulfilled service. Turn over to Psalm 100. This is usually a step that happens in the process of taking steps away from God. As we move further away from God, we lose our desire to serve him. As we lose our desire to serve him, we stop serving him. The devil takes that wonderful opportunity to steal our joy. As Christians, God puts that desire in each one of us to serve him. Just like he, has that, just like he wants us to have that joy in our Christian life, he wants us to serve him. Psalm 100, and, 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 uh, and I apologize, this is not Thanksgiving yet, but we're going to look at a Thanksgiving verse. I know we're only allowed to look at Thanksgiving verses at Thanksgiving, right? No, it's not, it's not true. We ought to be thankful all the time. But it says in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Look, all of them, we could continue on reading that psalm. Most of you could probably quote a lot of it. But, but the whole idea is that we ought to be serving the Lord with gladness. And that serving the Lord brings that gladness. He wouldn't say, make yourself serve him, make yourself have joy. No, that serving brings about that joy. We cannot take credit for our desire to serve him. In our human flesh, we don't have that natural desire. A person that's not saved, the person that's never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, doesn't have a desire to go out and serve God. Well, they might want to try to do as many right things as they can. They might try to, you know, want to try to gain as many good works as they can. But, but it's not because they, they just love God and they want to serve Him. Many times it's because they're trying to earn their way to heaven or whatever else. That's, that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about the fact that we cannot earn our way to heaven. The only way we can get to heaven is by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. So once we accept Christ as our Savior, then he puts within us that desire to serve him. And there's a joy that comes from serving Jesus. Once we get saved and God changes our life, he puts within us that desire to live for him and that desire to serve him. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. You don't need to turn over there for the sake of time, but he says this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. All of that to say this, God wants us to serve him. And when we give our lives to him, he helps us to serve him and he gives us that joy in serving him. John 12, 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Philippians 2, verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can't take credit for the service that we give to God. We can't take credit for the things that God does through us and the way that God uses us. But God intends for us to have joy by serving him with our lives. And when we stop serving him, when we stop witnessing for him, when we, when we, when we stop getting involved in ministries, when we stop giving our time, we lose that joy that comes by serving Jesus Christ. So one of the best ways for the devil to come in and steal our joy is for us to allow sin to pull us away from God. And as sin pulls us away from God, pulls us away from serving him at the same time, takes the joy out of the Christian life. The devil will steal our song when we have unconfessed sin. He'll steal our song through unfulfilled service, but also, and turn back over to Psalm 137, through unthankfulness. He'll steal our song through unthankfulness. One of the biggest 
downers, I guess you could say, for the Israelites when they were carried away captive is that they didn't realize what they had in Jerusalem until it was gone. And it says this in verse number 5 of Psalm 137. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. They scolded themselves for forgetting what they had in Jerusalem. You see what he's saying? Let, the, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If, if Jerusalem is not my number one joy, then, then, then let all these things happen to me. They forgot what they had, or they didn't realize what they had in Jerusalem until it was gone, and they were captives in Babylon. I think that unthankfulness is one of the things that caused them to lose that joy. And when we lose our heart of gratitude, we lose our joy. Turn to Psalm 138, the next chapter over. Now you might say, Pastor, but you don't understand what I'm going through. And I may not. And I'm not trying to make fun of you or any of that. But I want you to, what I want you to think about is everything you do have that is going right. Everything you do have that's, that's going right compared to what might be going wrong. Compare your situation um, with what you deserve. And no matter what you're going through, it's always going to be better than what we deserve. Psalm 138 and verse 1, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. David started to list all the things he was thankful for and it got him excited. If you read through the rest of that chapter there in Psalm 138, you see the things. David lists different things that he was excited about. Those are things that he was thankful for. Truth is, it's hard to be sad when you're thankful for what God's given you. God, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for showing yourself in my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for protecting me. When you're thankful for the things that you have, it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to gripe about the things that you don't have. When you're thankful for the things that don't happen in your life, it's hard to, it's hard to gripe about the things that do happen in your life. Then they're not fun to go through. They're not joyful times when you're going through difficulties. But, boy, if we start to be thankful for, God, it could have been a whole lot worse. Thank you for keeping me from that. God, it could have been, it could have been you know, I could have way less than what some of these other people have. Thank you for what you've given me. Boy, we were just, I was thinking about that yesterday when we were sitting there talking. $10, $10 can, can support a kid for a whole month. $120 can support a kid for a whole year. In America, $120 doesn't support a kid for a day. Right? And yet we're, we're so unthankful and so ungrateful for the things that we have in America. Boy, we, we've been given so much. Every time we would, uh, when I was in high school, we used to go downtown Chicago to the Pacific Garden Mission. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's been there for many, many, many years. I think they started in the late 1800s, early 1900s, somewhere around there. But it's, it's a very large homeless shelter. It's, it's a Christian homeless shelter. And so in order for them to get a meal and a bed and a shower, they have to sit in on the service for that night. If they don't sit in the service, they don't get those things. And so it gives them a motivation to sit there. And a lot of them end up turning their lives around because they hear the messages that are preached and, and, uh, and, and they get saved and God changes their life through that. Uh, but we used to go down there when I was in high school. I play the trumpet, and, and I have for years and years. And so we used to go down there and sing, and we used to play instruments for the service and things like that. And we didn't, we didn't do it all the time, but a couple times a year, I guess, we'd go down there and do that. And so, you know, we'd, we'd go down there, and, you know, uh, um, there'd, there'd just be a, a huge crowd, and, and probably four or five times the size of this auditorium of homeless people that were there in the service. 
And like I said, many of them ended up getting saved and changing their life. Billy Sunday was there, and, and that's where he got saved. Mel Trotter and some of these other old-time preachers of the past, uh, they transformed their lives. Their lives were transformed through the Pacific Garden Mission. But every time I went, they would have a testimony time, and it never failed that somebody always got up, usually one of the first ones that could get up to raise his hand and say, I thank the Lord for waking me up this morning. And, you know, when I was in high school and, and, and we, we would get done with the services and, you know, we, shame on us, but we used to joke about that and imitate that afterwards, you know, oh, thank the Lord for waking me up this morning. You know, like they didn't have anything to say. They just wanted to get up and say something that they were thankful for. And it wasn't until quite a few years later that I really started thinking about this and I realized that those people really were thankful that God woke them up that morning. Because they're homeless and they live on the street and there's a possibility that every time when they lay their head down, they may not wake up the next morning. And so they, you know, we, we joked about it and thought that they were kind of joking around with it as well. But I didn't realize until a lot of years later that they were thankful that God woke them up that morning. That they were able to have another day of life. That they were able to continue on doing what God had for them that day. And you know, they were thankful that God had woken them up, given them another day because in their world that wasn't guaranteed. And it started, it started to make me realize, boy, we, just, we take life for granted. Did, did I thank God for waking me up this morning? Because he didn't have to. Did I thank God for giving me a vehicle that I could have to get to church? Did I thank God for the food that I had on the table this morning? Did I thank God for, and, and just, I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on about the things that we should be thankful for that so many times we take for granted. And that so many times people around the world and people even in this country don't have that if they got it, they would be so appreciative of it. You know, we, we, uh, it's, it's, it's probably like the, the most common parenting advice that's ever been given. You know, you're sitting there eating food at the table and, well, I don't want the rest of my food. If, if a kid in China had that, they would be thankful for that. They would eat it, right? We say that all the time. But it's true. It's true. Here, they're thankful for anything that they can even have on their plate. We're, we get something on our plate, and, oh, I don't like that. I don't want that. And we throw it away. We're so wasteful. We're so unthankful. But that's one of the things that, that the devil will use to steal our song. When we're unthankful, we cannot be happy in the Lord. When we're unthankful, we can't have the joy that God wants us to have. When we're unthankful, we're going to allow the devil to steal our song. Instead of counting your problems, how about counting your blessings? Getting close to Thanksgiving time, I can say that, right? But think about it. Think about all the things that we have. Realize that things could be 100 times worse than they are, and for lots of other people, they probably are 100 times worse. Somebody's always got it worse than you do. You know, I always wonder what the person who really does have the worst thinks, but, you know, uh, somebody's always got it worse than you do. There's so much that we have to be thankful for. The reason we allow unthankfulness to steal our song is because we don't realize how good we really have it. The devil will steal our song when we have unconfessed sin. He'll steal our song through unfulfilled service, through unthankfulness, and lastly, through undisciplined time. And I had to keep everything alliterated, so I had to use un, but what I mean by that is busyness. I think it's probably Adrian Rogers that was the first preacher to coin the phrase, but he said this, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. A lot of other people have used that statement. I think he was the first one to coin it. But if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. In other words, if he can't get you to fall through some kind of temptation, if he can't get you to, to pull away from the Lord because uh, he throws something in front of you and it, and it distracts you and it pulls you away from God, then he'll use busyness to pull you away from the Lord. 
I've seen that, that numbing effect of busyness on people, especially in this day and age. We get so busy. We're not trying to stay away from the things of God necessarily, but we allow that busyness to keep us away from Him. Busyness can harden our hearts as we, as we work and, and, and perform without enjoying the one that gives us that real life. You know, our busy lives can deceive us into thinking that we're accomplishing things, but it matters what we're busy doing. May I remind you that when you stand before God, your job is going to count for nothing? When you stand before God, the time that you spend on Facebook and Instagram is going to count for nothing? When you stand before God, the time that you spent in front of the TV or playing video games is going to count for nothing. The time that you spent in sports and entertainment will count for nothing when we stand before God. And yet, if you think about the amount of time that we spend doing those things, that in the end, count for nothing. Are they bad? Most of them not. Sports is not bad. TV, if, if we're watching things that are not displeasing to God, it's not bad. Video games, I mean, most of them, I, I suppose, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if I've ever played a video game, but most of them are not bad, right? But they're things that keep us away from doing the things that are the best thing, which is serving God. Yeah, you, you've got to work. I'm, and I'm not saying go quit your job and go serve God. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we allow the busyness of that to take over our lives. We allow the busyness of, of social media to take over our lives. We allow the busyness of TV and sports and all of these things to take over our lives. Those things are going to count for nothing. So are they bad? No, they're not bad. But where the devil can't make us bad, he's going to make us busy. And if he can allow that busyness to take us away from doing the things that God wants us to do, then he's won. And it's a way that he'll steal our song. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Heard it over and over and over. My dad used to say that all the time when we were growing up. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The busier, we're, the busier, busier we are, the less still we are, which is damaging to our souls. Turn, turn to one last passage, Psalm 46. Sorry, two, two more passages that I have for you to look at, one right after this. But Psalm 46 and verse 10 says this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Be still. How do we put God in that place that he belongs in? How do we realize who God really is? Be still. Stop. Stop the busyness. Busyness pushes out the things that really matter, pushes out the things that are really important, and it opens up the door for unconfessed sin. It opens up the door for unfulfilled service. It opens up the door for unthankfulness. That's what busyness does. When you allow these things to linger in your life and the devil has stolen your song, then you've allowed him to win. In conclusion this morning, let me, let me point out a couple things. Turn over to Psalm 34 and we'll be done. David did write this psalm. And the fascinating thing to me is that David wrote this psalm while he was on the run. He was trying to preserve his life from King Saul. Saul was chasing him. Obviously, David had already been anointed as the king, uh, the next king of Israel, and Saul knew that. And so he was trying to kill David at every chance he could get. 
And so David found himself desperate for food, desperate for protection. So he went to a place called Nob. And while he was in Nob, he met one of the priests there, one of the, one of the Lord's priests named Abimelech. And he asked Abimelech to give him Goliath's sword. That's where it was being kept. And obviously, David was the one who had stolen that sword after he cut Goliath's head off. But he asked him to give him Goliath's sword, and he asked him to give him bread that was baked on the altar. And Abimelech agreed to do those things. And I think because of David doing those things that he knew that he shouldn't have done, God allowed the next part to happen. But David went to Achish, and one of the king's servants there in Achish recognized David as the great warrior, the one that killed Goliath, the one that was, you know, the, the, the thorn in the side of the Philistines. And so because he had been recognized, the only way that David could escape, they brought David before the king. And so David started acting like a madman before the king. He started drooling all over his beard. He started saying nonsensical things. And, and this is coming from a man who was very intelligent, a man who was, who was, a, was going to be the king. He's reduced to drooling all over himself to try to get out of this situation. And the king finally said, that is not the David that killed Goliath. That's not the David that I know that was the one that did all of this damage to the Philistines. Get this guy out of here. And David was able to escape. But this is, this is it, was, it was a tough time to be David. But he writes this psalm. David didn't ask for that life. You know, God chose him. He was out in a field tending sheep when Samuel came and anointed him. As an ex-king, he was there minding his own business, and the Lord sent a prophet, Samuel, to find him. He was just a teenager at the time, more than likely, and to anoint him. David was supposed to be favored. He was supposed to be beloved. He was supposed to be singled out for great things. He was Saul's replacement. So how was it then that David's life was here in shambles, hiding in a cave, trying to escape for his life, acting like a madman to escape from another king who wanted to kill him? Why didn't God stop this? If he was anointed, why all the trouble? Why all the heartache and all the pain for a man who was such a worshiper of God? But David, David in Psalm 34, who could have taken on the victim mentality, could have folded his arms, could have gave up, could have quit believing, could have walked away, could have stopped worshiping God altogether. He said this in Psalm 34 and verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. A lot of Christians have walked away from God murmuring. They've thrown in the towel. They've given up. Begun questioning God. Let the devil steal their song. Like what happened to this writer in Psalm 137. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. See, in trouble, he still had praise on his lips and he still had a heart after God. Because it doesn't matter what happens in our life. God's in control. You know, we think that we're so powerful or that forces in this world are so powerful that they can't, that, that God cannot control what happens to us. They're not that powerful. You're not that powerful. God is in control. You know, David, while he was going through all of these things, his thoughts, I'm sure, were, while I'm on the run, I'll bless the Lord. While I'm fighting for my life, I'm going to bless the Lord. While I'm running away from kings that are trying to kill me, I'm going to bless the Lord. When I'm hiding in this cave, 
looking for food. I'm going to bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, he said. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Are we going to go through difficult times? Absolutely. But we have to be like David when we go through those tough times. We have to refuse to allow the devil to steal our song. If you've lost it, you can get it back. How? Make sure you don't have any sin that's unconfessed in your life. That's the quickest way to lose your joy. That's the quickest way to allow the devil to steal your song. Make sure you're busy serving God. That's how you stay happy. Just because you serve doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't, just because you serve doesn't make you a good Christian. But it certainly gives you a good place to start. And the more you serve God, the more joy you're going to have in serving Jesus. Get that unconfessed sin out. Get busy serving God and be thankful. Make it a point to say, God, thank you for this today. Thank you for this today. Well, God does so many things for us that we're so unthankful for. And it causes us to lose our joy. Don't set your heart down and allow the devil to steal your song when God wants to hear you sing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for the joy that you've given us, the opportunity that we have to be a joyous Christians. And God, I pray that if, if there's anything in any of our lives this morning that would be stealing that song, that you'd help us to get those things taken care of. Maybe it is unthankfulness. Maybe it's just something as simple as not, not appreciating and being thankful for everything that you give us, and it's stealing our song. Maybe we're not busy serving you. Maybe we're spending too much time uh, using that time for ourselves, and it's stealing our song. God, maybe the most important thing and the thing that needs to be taken care of the most is that we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Can't use us. Can't hear our prayers. Can't do anything with us with unconfessed sin in our hearts, and that's certainly going to steal our song. It's going to steal our joy. So God, I pray that you would help us not to allow the busyness of life to get in the way of us having the joy that you want us to have, us living the life that you want us to live as a Christian. And God, I pray that if there's decisions that need to be made this morning, they would. And that you'd be pleased with the decisions that we make. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If the Holy Spirit spoken to your heart this morning about anything, you can come forward as the piano plays. Invitation's open. <laughs>